Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to the elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Please read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. If you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick up one at the information desk in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 11. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the process of recognizing new elders. Finally, we thank Scott Thompson and Roger Hill for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, please thank these gentlemen for their faithful service. On another note, a few of the buildings on our Rogers campus need some attention. The Family Center was completed in 1991. The Worship Center and Foyer were completed in 1999. That's a quarter of a century. The elders have approved moving forward with much needed improvements to those buildings. The cost is estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. We don't want to go into debt for this project and we have proven on initiatives of much larger scale that we can get this done if all our congregations work together. My wife Denise and I will be setting up monthly recurring gifts to do our part and I hope you will too. No gift is too large or too small. And remember, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. On the giving page of our website, you will find capital improvements. You can make a contribution there or set up recurring gifts. We already have $1.3 million in donations, so we are well on our way. God continues to do great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. Thank you for playing an active role in this great ministry. God bless you, everyone. and stand and just say hey to some friends around you if you haven't yet. Go ahead and make sure you know each other's name. A handshake, a hug. And let's worship our king and friend this evening. Song. 
fun to celebrate Jesus during Christmas, huh? Yeah. Hey, tonight, tonight is acoustic, and uh, it's intentional that we could sing together. And so throughout this evening, please, God gave you a really beautiful voice. Would you use it with us? Wow. Would you use it with us? Beautiful, beautiful. We all can take a seat. Welcome, Mosaic. It's so good to see you all here tonight. My name is Dana Barron, and I serve on the Women's Committee here at Mosaic. I have a few announcements to share with you. First of all, um, Fellowship has provided several resources that we want to make sure you're aware of as we um, continue on in this Advent season. First of all, there is a family Advent book that you can use um, with your family. You can find that for free out in the foyer after service. Um, Second, we have daily um, devotional emails that can be sent to you to help you um, stay focused during this Advent season on Jesus and the reason for the season. So if you want to sign up for those, you can go to the website. And then lastly, Fellowship Music has... um, is offering some Christmas albums full of beautiful worship music to help you um, just be in the right mindset throughout your day. Um, I want to issue a special invitation to all the moms out there. This is a crazy time of year for us. No matter what season of life you're in, if you have kids, you have a long to-do list. And we want to encourage you to set that to-do list aside and come and celebrate with us and other Mosaic moms. Tomorrow night, we're gonna be meeting in the RCO family room um, at 5.30. It's not too late. If you wanna RSVP, you can go to the website. We will provide, be providing dinner and snacks, and we're gonna do an ornament exchange. It's just gonna be a fun time to come um, as moms and to set aside our responsibilities and to get to celebrate. We're the magic makers, so let us provide some magic for you. I hope you can come. And then lastly, um, fellowship really emphasizes generosity at this time of year through something called the gift. We're gonna watch a video to learn more about that. Hey, Fellowship Mosaic. I wanna tell you a story about my friend Zakaya. 
Uh, Zakayo is a pastor from Tanzania who's been faithfully serving in a context for years where Christians and Muslims live in close proximity to each other. And he has been uh, just, a, just a faithful leader there with him and his wife and his two children. And he wanted an opportunity to get the, the high quality theological education that we take for granted here in the States. Um, we have a great friendship at Fellowship with Dallas Seminary, and we are just blessed to have incredible training from Dallas. And so Zakayo picked up his family, moved to Dallas for five years to do a doctorate degree here, to then bring back that training to Tanzania. And uh, he took a huge risk, huge step of faith to come to America to do that training, to bless the African church. And when he did so, um, he came with huge financial need, and he was working literally maxing out all the hours he was allowed to do on his visa and was still not able to provide the basic things that his family needed to live in Dallas while he did seminary. I got to meet Zakayo uh, through my time at Dallas and hear his story and hear what he was all about. And he was sharing with me those needs. And he says, does your church ever do anything um, to help people like me? And I told him about the gift. And I said, hey, this is this thing we do every Christmas where we ask our church to just be above and beyond generous. Uh, to see what God could do with our generosity beyond fellowship uh, through Northwest Arkansas, through the country, and throughout the nations. And so Zakayo applied last year, and from the 600000 that fellowship gave last year, our elders prayed through every request and included Zakayo in our generosity and was able to bless him and his family with what they needed to keep pursuing theological education at Dallas to be able to take back to bless the church in Africa. And, and those are the kinds of things we get to be a part about every Christmas when we invite fellowship among our giving that we do with all the fun gifts and all the, the cool things we do with our families and our friends at Christmas to also consider what would it look like as a church to give a gift beyond our doors. And so I want to invite you, Fellowship Mosaic, to jump in on the gift this Christmas time, uh, to be generous and give to this collection that our elders receive all of these requests of different needs from, from different areas and they pray over each and every one and are able to disperse from your generosity to bless, to represent, to express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world out of the culture of generosity that God is building here at Fellowship. So I want to invite you to go to fellowshipmosaic.org slash the gift. And as and what my family is going to do this year, as we make our budget for all the Christmas gifts that we're going to do for our family, we're just going to include a line item to give to the gift here at Fellowship and see what God might want to do as we get to be generous beyond the doors of our church. Amen. And you are a generous, generous family, Mosaic. We're, we're really grateful. Um, tonight we're diving in, uh, continuing in our Advent series on peace. And uh, maybe you're coming in and it is uh, not peaceful, <laughs> a little chaotic, all the traffic, highways, maybe kids throwing things at you on the way here. And uh, the King of Peace is present in here tonight. Or maybe there are circumstances or things you're walking through and you're coming into this room tonight feeling a little more chaos than peace. And, and our prayer for you in this time is that you realize the Prince of Peace is here and longs to spend some time with you this evening. So if you would, would you stand with us as we worship him together? And uh, hear now from the word of the Lord. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned.
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Truly he taught us. Get up. Truly he taught us to host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests shining star in heaven so
scripture. We'll welcome up our good friends, Aaron and Enoch Graham. And they're going to read the scripture as well as one of our, our liturgies around here during Advent is the lighting uh, of the candles that, that the light of the world has come and we celebrate that. And so as Aaron and Enoch light the candle, there's going to be a, uh, an invitation over you that the peace of Emmanuel, and then together we'll say God is with us. Can y'all welcome Aaron and Enoch though? Yeah. Yeah. Happy Saturday. Uh-oh. Happy Saturday. I'm going to try that again. There we go. Happy Saturday, Mosaic. Uh, so glad we can join you. My name is indeed Enoch, and this is my wonderful spouse, Aaron. Hello. Fun fact, next Saturday we will have been married for four months, so shout out for that. Yeah. We both work at Camp War Eagle full-time. I do a lot with our staff. Um, I help lead our recruiting team and then also do a lot of stuff with training with our staff in the summer. So if you guys have gone or send your kiddos, we are deeply thankful for you. Aaron's going to tell us about how long and what we've done with Mosaic. Yeah, we've been here for about 10 or plus years. Um, we were really involved with students whenever it was townhouses back in those days. Um, and we've been involved in Outposts in the past with Matt Newman. And if you guys have been blessed by my husband's voice, he's up here a lot singing. Um, currently, we live in Springdale, so we're just figuring out married life and community and all the things. Oh, and we're going to read the word. There and it go. comes from... That's right, it's my job. Uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. You guys can look up on the screen. Here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was fruitful or faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke, he did what? Please hold. The angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This, this is, is the word, word of the Lord. Peace of Emmanuel. God is with us. Thanks, guys. Aaron was a resident with the student ministry my first full-time year on the team. And uh, I've, I've got some great Aaron Wiltsey stories, Aaron Graham stories, sorry, to share. I'm still getting used to that, uh, to share later. But she has a lot of Nick stories, so maybe we just don't want to go down that road at all. Um, Hey, it is a joy to jump into Advent together, and uh, I'll just start out by saying I don't like conflict, I don't enjoy it, um, and I tend to just want all the people in my world to be really happy with each other. I want peace, I want connection, I want everything to be all right, and when I see things start to unravel, I get really anxious and I want to fix it. So anytime I hear people giving methods for resolving conflict and making things better, I wanna lean in and listen. So, I was really excited when a mentor of mine named Michael Scott, he manages a paper company um, called Dunder Mifflin, and when he began to give some instruction on how to get to a win-win-win scenario, I knew that I had to lean in and pay attention closely, because that sounds like a dream to me. Like, everybody's fighting, and then you can coach them and get to a place where this person's happy, this person's happy, and they're happy with me? 
That's everything I want. And uh, if, if you're friends of the office, you know it doesn't always work out that way, nor does it in life. And I have had to come to terms with the fact that many times, instead of the win-win-win, you're staring down lose-lose. And I, I can't stand that. Like, I can't stand sitting in those situations where you're, you're, you're looking at people in conflict and you go, there is no way forward here. Like, people are dug in. The hurt is so deep. I see no way to reconcile this. Or when the loss is so deep, when the grief seems so final that you go, I don't see how this gets to a happy ending. I don't see how we're gonna get to where everybody's smiling and hugging each other and happy at the end of this. Like this is chaos. This is pain. And for a lot of life on earth, this is just every day. And I find it so interesting when I look at the account of the birth of Jesus, how many apparent lose-lose situations he was born right into. Like lose-lose was the world that he came into. And and this passage tonight finds Joseph in a lose-lose situation uh, with no apparent way forward. So we read in verse 18 in Matthew chapter one, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be present through the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew, as he writes this gospel, he does something that is is counter the way most of the gospels are written. Most of the gospels, when they write the story of Jesus, just stylistically, they like to kind of like wait till the the last minute to pull the punchline and go, this is what's going on, you know, the big surprise of of the resurrection or something like that. Like most of the gospel, we don't get told explicitly who Jesus is until the end. And they write really great drama. But there's something Matthew is doing here that's unlike the way he writes the rest of the time where he puts the big idea right out front. Lest you be confused at all, Mary, before she had come together with her husband, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He puts that right out front to remove any doubt about what's going on here. This is a miraculous conception. Now, it follows in a really interesting way in Matthew, right on the heels of a really long genealogy. We're not gonna go look through all of it, but Matthew chapter one, verses two to 16, if you're looking in your Bibles, you can see it goes all the way from Abraham, who lived about 2,000 years before Jesus was born, and traces descendants right up to Joseph and Mary. But even that genealogy does something really interesting. There's this, little, there's this Greek word that it uses to say, essentially, it, it's something like saying so-and-so fathered so-and-so. So this person was the father of this person, was the father of this person, was the father of this person. It does that all the way down the genealogy until it gets to Jesus' parents. And if you've been reading the genealogy, like you should trip over what comes next because you've gotten used to the rhythm. You're going along. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. You You should stumble when you read that. Every single one of them is the father of the father of the father of, and then it comes to Joseph and it says, the husband of. The husband of Mary, who was the mother of, of Jesus, the Messiah. Something in the pattern here is broken. And Matthew wants to make this explicitly clear that something is really unique about the birth of Jesus. He wants us to know right out of the gate in his gospel that Jesus is unlike any other human who's ever been born. So it is in the context of him giving this genealogy that traces the descendant of Jesus that he then goes in and says in verse 18, hey, let me tell you how that happened. Let me tell you how you get this situation that you have a boy born with no father. I'm not gonna explain the biology of why that's a problem. I'm gonna trust you get it. So he says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That, that phrase, found to be pregnant, um, in English, that almost sounds like something was exposed. But you think like um, back in older uses of English, they, they were 
found to be in this place or whatever. Uh, it just means it happened. So it happened that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And when it says they were pledged to be married, we need to understand something about how Jewish marriages work that is very different from our marriage customs today. When you got engaged, when you made a promise to marry someone, they actually had a formal ceremony and you were legally married the moment that the engagement began. In our culture, if, if somebody gets engaged and they break off the engagement, there might be a lot of relational harm, a lot of hurt done, but you don't have to go down to the courthouse to break off an engagement. You would actually have to file a legal divorce to break off an engagement because you were considered husband and wife the moment that engagement started. And they had a process where you would become legally bound to each other, and then you would go back to your homes of origin and prepare for the wedding and then you would have your wedding and actually move in together and consummate the marriage. So what we're told is Mary and Joseph are legally bound to each other, but they actually haven't come together as husband and wife yet when this happens, when she is found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. This is Joseph's lose-lose situation. Joseph is a man who is described as being faithful to the law. He wants to do everything that God commands. He cares deeply about his integrity. And a man like that, when he's looking for a wife, he probably would have chosen somebody who also cared deeply about her integrity. And he's in this situation now where as far as he knows, his wife has committed adultery and is now pregnant by another man. Now, this is why I think Matthew puts the information out right out front. He doesn't want us to be guessing the way Joseph would have been guessing. We know what's going on, but Joseph doesn't. And Joseph is in this lose-lose situation of, on the one hand, if he's going to follow the law and protect his own integrity publicly, he has to accuse her of adultery and expose someone he cares about to public shame. But there's another side of Joseph's character at work here. He wants to be faithful to the law, but he also is clearly a man of mercy. He loves this woman. He chose her to be his wife, and he doesn't want to wreck her life. And if he goes through and publicly accuses her of adultery, her life is over at this time, in this culture, in this world. There's nothing good waiting for her going forward the best he can come up with, the best scenario he can come up with is to say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna divorce her. I'm gonna do the legal certificate, but I'm gonna try not to make a public accusation. I'm gonna keep this as quiet as I can. Now, this is not a happily after, ever after for anyone. It's not as if this pregnancy is gonna be kept secret for long. Eventually, this legally divorced woman is going to have a child out of wedlock. Nothing about this is a win-win. It's the best scenario that Joseph can come up with in a really broken situation. Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced a situation that was so broken and so messed up that every path you could see was bad? And what you had to choose was the least bad option of a lot of bad choices. Can you imagine for Joseph? Like this is supposed to be like the year of the most joy of his life. And it's turning into him having this impossible scenario with no way forward. And it's in this context that an angel shows up. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. This is crucial. In this moment, that's the only person in the Gospels who's going to get called son of David except for Jesus himself. Joseph, son of David. David, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament and the story of Israel, David was a king that God specially anointed to lead Israel. And God made a promise to this king because David was so loyal to God, he was called a man after God's own heart, that God said, there will always be one of your descendants ruling Israel. And so the people of Israel who are now being ruled by Rome, 
they are hoping and praying that someday some hidden descendant of David will show up to be their king and bring them to freedom, bring them to peace. So it's significant when the angel says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's explaining to Joseph the miraculous scenario that flips this story upside down, that changes everything for him. And then he says, the angel says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, is, it's, the, it's from the Hebrew Yeshua, which literally means Yahweh saves. But the angel is asking Joseph to do something really particular here. He says two things, take Mary into your house as your wife, and then he says you will name the child Jesus. When a man names a child, he is claiming that child as his own. So he is telling Joseph, not only take in Mary, but claim this child, and there's no threat to your integrity to do so. Now, how in the world is Joseph going to explain this story to the outside world? God, the angel, God, through this angel, is telling Joseph that this is what's real and what's true, and I'm going to ask you to act on it in a public way that will be surprising to everyone around you. But there's even more going on in this really strange adoption scenario. You see, when, back, in, back in Israel's history, when God first made that promise to David that he would always have a descendant reigning on the throne, this is what God said to David that he would do for all of his ancestors, or all his descendants. He said, when you have a son who's on the throne, I will treat him like my son. I will take care of him. I will provide for him. I'll discipline when he does wrong. God is saying, David, I'm gonna adopt your sons as my son. In fact, that became so much a part of Israel's culture that every time they anointed a new king, when they crowned a new king in Jerusalem, there was a psalm they would sing that actually has the voice of God in the psalm saying, you are my son, today I become your father. And all of Israel, that would be their prayer, is that God would look on this child, this descendant of David, who is our king, and that God would adopt him as his son, and that God would guide him and lead him to do what was right. And that if God was leading this son of David, Israel would experience peace and joy and everything they needed. There's a problem with that system. Every single child of David failed. The children of David never brought peace. In fact, David's first son's name was Solomon, which comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. David literally named his son peace, and that child was supposed to be the king whom God would adopt, who God would guide, and he would bring peace in Israel. Instead, Solomon went off the rails and wrecked the country. And we have this system year after year in Israel's history of descendants of David, natural children of David, being adopted by God and failing to bring peace. And in the life, in this baby that's born, God is gonna flip that system on its head. And it said, mere humans adopted to be cared by God cannot bring you the peace you need. So instead, I'm gonna give you the true son of God and ask the son of David to adopt him. because the human kings couldn't do it. They couldn't bring the kind of peace that Israel needed. And this idea of peace is one that I, I think we have very flipped upside down in our culture today. Um, when, when we think about the word peace, what first comes to my mind is parents who are surrounded by screaming children and things breaking and they say, I just need some peace and quiet, right? Because what we think of as peace, whenever countries are at war with each other, peace usually means that they stop shooting each other. For us, peace usually means that the destruction and the noise and the chaos stops. So I'm going to give you a very obnoxious musical illustration. 
So brace yourselves. For most of us, what we assume is happening in peace is that when life looks like this, anybody's life feel like that in December? That suddenly feels really good, doesn't it? It's a lot of relief. And for most of us, that's the best we can imagine, is that the pain and the chaos stops. But the Hebrew idea of shalom, of peace, is so much more profound than the noise coming to an end. The idea of peace that God provides is not the end of conflict and the removal of pain. It's actually everything in the world working together the way it should. You see, in in God's kingdom, peace means that this... into this because harmony is so much more powerful than silence harmony does so much more than just eliminating the noise and the conflict and as someone who doesn't like conflict a lot of times I'm really content with just ignoring and avoiding the conflict but if all God wanted for peace on earth was an end to conflict there's a really easy solution to that you know what it is Wipe us all out. If you get rid of the people, you get rid of the conflict. And by the way, there's a strong cultural trend right now that says that's how you have peace in your life. You have a toxic relationship, what's the answer? Cut them off. You have someone you don't like hearing talk, what do you do? Stop listening to them. And for a lot of people, the answer to peace is simply to cut off and avoid anything in your life that creates problems. You know why that will never work? Because I am my own biggest problem. I can cut off every other source of conflict in my life and I'll still be left with a really messed up internal life. Cutting out the noise will never bring the peace we need. Instead, we need harmony. So how do we get harmony in lose-lose situations? I think the birth of Jesus, this little moment in Joseph's life, is a picture of what the rest of the life of Jesus is gonna be about. This little moment where we get to see a lose-lose impossible situation, the excited husband who has to face down what he thinks is an adulterous wife, and how does he maintain his integrity while not shaming this woman he loves, through a miracle finds out that the world was turned upside down. The incredible thing that Jesus does over and over and over again is take impossible lose-lose situations and transform them into peace. In situations where we see no way forward, where all the resources we have available go nowhere, Jesus has the ability to step in and bring forgiveness, to bring grace, to bring healing and restoration. That's something that no son of David could have ever done. And yet the son of God was able to. See, Matthew chapter one, verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When God is with us, everything changes. When God is with us, impossible things become possible in ways we could have never imagined. But look at Joseph's response. In verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. What were the two things Joseph was supposed to do? Take Mary into his home, name the baby Jesus. What is Joseph's response? Take Mary home, name the baby Jesus. My guess is life did not immediately get peaceful for Joseph. 
My guess is it got worse before it got better. So don't hear me saying, I don't think this is what the scriptures are saying. Trust Jesus and it'll all get better right away. Oftentimes that road to Shalom looks like trusting Jesus in some pretty crazy ways through some really hard, chaotic moments on the road there. But I think the message, what this is pointing us toward more than anything else is not a what, but a who. It's not a technique for peace, it's the person who brings peace. Because through Jesus, peace is possible in absolutely impossible situations. I told you, like, my, one of my weak spots is interpersonal conflict and dissension. And this week was nuts. I, I, I don't think, maybe, maybe one day, but I think six out of the seven days this week, I had a new conflict come to me that involved me personally that felt deeply threatening and brought up a lot of anxiety in me. And they just started piling through the week. And each new one just pushed me a little bit further down into worry and anxiety. And I was fighting all week between two paths that I saw in front of me. One was to spiral and try to problem solve on my own on how am I gonna fix this. And the other was to really pursue Jesus and trust him. And this one looked, they both looked terrifying, but in very different ways. Because over here, at least I got to feel like I was in charge. Even if it was gonna all blow up and go badly, I still felt like I got to do it my way. But when I started thinking about what it looked like to trust Jesus in those scenarios, I started thinking, oh man, some of it might mean holding my tongue and being silent and just trusting other people to do the right thing instead of me getting involved in controlling it. Or it might mean admitting my fault and offering forgiveness even when I felt like I was only 1% at fault. <laughs> that felt really scary. To go the path to peace might mean just confessing my sin and offering forgiveness, something that felt impossible to do. And as of this afternoon at three, I was still wrestling with what does it look like to trust and follow the Prince of Peace in difficult situations in my own life. So what we're about to do is we're about to take communion because the miracle of the virgin birth leads to the miracle of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Both impossible life scenarios for a child to be born to a virgin and for a dead man to come back to life. There's no way. And those impossible, miraculous moves of Jesus open the door for him to do impossible moves in our life. So as we, as we take communion, what we're gonna invite you to do Sometimes you'll hear the phrase in church, just leave it at the door. I don't want you to leave it at the door. I don't want you to leave whatever it is that seems chaotic and impossible in your life. I don't want you to leave it at the door. I want you to bring it to the Lord. As we receive the elements, I'm not saying something magic is gonna happen and your problems are gonna be solved by the time you walk out of here. But what we're gonna do together is to receive the peace that comes from inviting God into the situation. So we're, we're gonna take the elements together. I'm gonna invite you to come out to the left of your aisle, go back to the right. We'll receive a blessing as the elements are given. I also wanna say this, um, communion is a, a celebration for people who have trusted Jesus um, and people who are recognizing God's presence in your life. If, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you haven't invited him in and trusted him to have that peace, um, it's totally fine for you to sit out on this and just observe, or we would love to walk you through that. And so I'm gonna be available just kind of walking around and I would be happy, um, what we're actually gonna do is I'm actually gonna have some elements with me and I would be happy to come sit down and talk you through 
what it looks like to follow Jesus. And maybe your first communion will be trusting him tonight. We would love to do that. We also know that um, for some people, physically walking down is difficult next to impossible. I would also love to just bring elements to you where you are. So if you want elements brought to you, just throw your hand up and I'd be happy to do that. Um, But let's pray. And then we're gonna remember Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us and the peace that he brings. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you bring possibility to impossible situations. That you bring peace into chaos and not just the peace that silences, but the peace that restores. Peace that makes all things right. So Lord, tonight, as we remember, as we fix our eyes on you, bring peace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Receive the elements and hold to remind yourself of these truths with us.
you're able, would you stand? Because that Prince of Peace came and he sat with his disciples around a table. And it wasn't going to be peace through the sword or overthrow. It was going to be peace on a cross. And the, the Prince of Peace broke bread and handed it to his disciples. And he said, this represents my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So to the Prince of Peace, friends, let's remember him together. disciples looked around and were like, this is, this is quite the party here, Jesus. <laughs> and he took a cup of wine and he said, this represents my blood, the blood of a new covenant poured out for you. And he passed it around and said, take this in remembrance of me to take and drink. So to the blood of our prince in peace, take now. Darkness we were waiting. Sing it with us. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came around, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill.
of kings. Thanks for being our Prince of Peace. And uh, would you help us even as we leave this place to know the immeasurable peace you alone provide and to be willing to extend it to those around us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Um, it was a beautiful night, friends. Thanks for being a part of it with us. Uh, a couple of things as we step into uh, what you have next. One is uh, we are blessed to be a part of a church and you know, the more I hang out around fellowship, the more I just am like blown away uh, at some of the, uh, the health of leadership around here. And uh, our elders, if you're an elder active or have been an elder in the room, would you just raise your hand so we could see you and thank you? Are elders in the room tonight? They're all at second hour because they're all serving and holding babies in first hour. Part of that is, though, we invite you to be a part of this process of continuing to see... Um, qualified leaders who are leading in this congregation. And so would welcome, please, if, if you have somebody that you say, you know what, this person would serve wonderfully in that. We welcome you to it. And uh, if you need prayer tonight, if you're a little more chaos than peace, um, in the back of the room, um, there's some chairs. You are welcome to take a seat. Our prayer team will be available and would love to pray with you. But as we leave this place, uh, could we go in peace to love and serve the Lord?